It's Holly Taylor, and I am so excited to be hanging out with you today as we share some incredible stories of Indigenous peoples from across our country. And so I'm excited to introduce to you Rebecca Jean Cowboy. Rebecca, how are you? I'm good. Where was growing up for you? Quebec. What was your experience growing up in Quebec? Um, our community is really remote. Um, it's on right on like below Hudson Bay. So growing up there... We had houses and schools and a grocery store. Um, I didn't really pay attention outside our territory. Mm -hmm. So no big box stores, just pretty, pretty remote. You have family and friends and that's, that's kind of it. Yeah. And my grandparents raised me on, out on the land, they call it. And boards kind of like kept me away from trouble. Yeah. So you see your grandparents raised you. I'm curious, where were your parents? Um, they were home, but I, I love my grandparents. I'd rather be in the bush learning to hunt and trap fish, um, go get water, stuff that we needed in the camp. It seems like a, a unique story, I know, um, with regards to the residential schools, and that's a big part of September 30th with the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Um, there's generations that didn't really get to experience that kind of upbringing. Um, for your grandparents and your parents, did they have to go to residential schools? My parents did. Uh, they would be away um, end of August, I believe, and they would come back um, end of June. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they didn't really have that chance to be out on the land until they were, I, I believe, most of them came back when they were 18. Okay, Wow. And so for you, you didn't have to go to the residential school. Was that because they weren't in existence or a, a choice that your, your family was able to make? Um, my community started having like uh, schools where I'm from, like uh, elementary school. But back then they called it in some days, they call it um, Indian Day School. So then there was um, before, because my tribe, they had, um, they I don't know if you know Hydro-Quebec. Um, we had our rivers diverted in 19, late, late 60s and to some of this, there was a huge battle keeping our rivers clean, keeping our rivers flowing. Um, but my leaders fought it to have agreement. Um, they call it Northern JSB Agreement. So I think I believe in 1976, that's when um, kind of like owned our school system a bit and they removed the Indian Indian day school in our community yeah okay mm-hmm. do you was one of your particular communities one of the first to have their own schools or was this an, an kind of a new movement I believe in our area that was the first one and um, then we had our first um, Cree Cree books Cree syllabics they call it so we're able to learn Cree language in our classrooms. Yeah, That's incredible. I mean, yeah. you should have always been able to have known your language, but it's mm-hmm. exciting that now you guys are able to really tap into your roots. Because I know for me and my family, if we trace, um, so I'm part Trinidadian, and mm-hmm. like our lineage just stops. Like we don't know where they came from. We don't, like, I don't know what the original language was. So I'm just so excited to see your your culture just starting to flourish in a different kind of way. Um, yeah. So you, Cree is your first language, right? Yes, Cree is my first language. 
So we, we did have in the beginning, like um, people that paved the way for our language. Um, now today it's in a university where you can study as a literacy language. So to, to get your, like you get actually get a diploma or bachelor's in that. For you, at what age were you when you realized that there were some, some family traumas essentially due to residential schools? I didn't really know about it until, because um, I'm, I'm a subnist kid. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know until about um, late 90s I heard about it. Yeah. Until I heard someone talk about it in um, a Christian setting meeting, um, mm-hmm. he actually said, uh, he started talking about the trauma he went through in those schools. And I didn't really understand what he was talking about first. Um, kind of like shocked. I never heard my parents talk about it or my grandparents or family members until that meeting when he started talking about his healing. He talked about forgiveness. He talked about the separation from his parents. Then I didn't understand what he meant when he said we went through a lot of abuses, but the most dramatic, the most trauma that happened to us was the separation from their parents until he said like, um, the separation, meaning they didn't have those foundation years with their parents, how to parent them, how to love them, stuff like that. And then he said, when we came back, before they left, they didn't really see any like alcohol in the community. Only men would drink, but they made like, they call it homebrew. (laughs) (laughs) No woman was allowed to drink in our community back then, because they would always be like taking care of their children. But when they came back after their schooling, they said there was so much alcohol, they couldn't believe even the, the mother's woman were drinking. But then he said, like, that's when he said, we lost those years with our parents. And when we became parents, we didn't know how to parent, he said. Years later, when I started pursuing like healing, dealing with stuff like past traumas, that's when I realized it did affect me the way I, I was raised with my parents. I know they tried, but they had their own stuff, what they went through in the school system. For example, what they went through and they brought it and they did the same thing to us. It kind of like went like cycle, the, the abuse and all the, the pain and the trauma. And right now, like I'm in school learning about Canadian relations, about the history. Like I never learned those stuff in high school. Just two years I'm learning those stuff. All the trauma, like I understand now a little bit more where my parents came from, what um, Canada did and other stuff that happened to the Indigenous people. And now I understand a little bit more and I'm a little bit more understanding as well, not to um, not to be judgmental. For example, I would still judge my parents. I would say, why did you do this? Blah, blah, blah. Now that I understand a little bit more what they went through, because I back then I didn't care when I first heard it. I didn't really care. I, I thought that was past. It happened to them. It didn't happen to me. But now then I realize, why am I unhappy? Why am I doing this stuff I don't want to do? Why do I feel oppressed? Why do I feel hopeless? Um, Then I started dealing with those stuff. Now that I understand a little bit more, it's like a journey. The part where, to me, reconciliation is 
taking back what was yours. It could be the land, could be the language, could be your, your identity as an Indigenous person. And forgiveness is a journey. And to me, is um, going through the pain, going through the emotion, going through the anger, going through the bitterness. And then after that, leave it with God. You can't leave it with um, the Creator and say, okay, I choose to forgive, forgive even if they never, never apologize. For example, my dad, he abandoned me when I was a baby. Years, I was on that journey of forgiveness. Like almost, I don't know how much um, bitterness, anger, and hate I had towards him. But it took me years. Then one time I remember I was in a, a school, those Christian schools, um, I was in a session with the counselor. Um, she said to me, because years I had this, um, he owes me my life. He owes me a lot. He wasn't there. He owes me a lot. And or whenever my account got low, I would say, oh, he owes me. He didn't teach me the basics. He didn't teach me this. But one of those sessions where I had this revelation of what it means to, to give a free gift. And when that counselor said, are you willing to forgive even if your dad never, never apologizes to you? In that moment, all of a sudden I saw this gift. I don't know. I can't explain it, what happened. I just <laughs> had that moment where I'm just encountering God's his love. Then where I saw myself, oh, I didn't die for the world. Jesus is the one that died for the world. <laughs> and it's my choice to forgive, even if my dad never apologized to me. So that moment I said, yes, I'm willing to give him the free gift of forgiveness. So then I, I just broke all my judgments that moment. It just left. I didn't really pay attention. It just left where I felt, oh, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know me. <laughs> That's when I, I was on that journey. It kind of like um, went so many ways, like forgiving non-Indigenous people, forgiving the school system, forgiving the government. It's like a journey. And I had so much fear just going to government offices just to go make something mm-hmm. like a card or update something or even to emergency hospital. I would have so much fear. But in, in those moments, I would say I choose not to be a victim of someone's hate. I choose not to be a victim of someone's their issue. And I kind of like always had to pray that kind of prayer. And then I say, like, God, I choose not to be a victim of anyone's hate. Then I would be at peace when I go there. I wouldn't be afraid. There was so much stuff I I went through. Those schools, I did international schools. I learned to live with non-Indigenous. I didn't know I had so much fear. Even eating with them, this is kind of like one of those stories where I would just eat with them in lunch hours or in a break. I would shake. I didn't know why I was shaking until I thought, why am I shaking? Why do I feel like I want to escape and not eat with them? Then growing up, they would always say to us, watch out for the non-Indigenous. They eat properly. (laughs) 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 They eat properly. You can't 
be yourself. You have to like be sit still and stuff like that. And um, then one of those schools, we did an outreach. And that's when I felt I had a breakthrough. Being Indigenous, what it means to me. Because I would always say growing up, like like my half-siblings, we would always argue. They would say I had a different father. That argument would always be, I would always felt like I didn't belong. But I would always say, it's not my fault that I was born. I didn't say, okay, make me. Yeah, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, stuff like that. (laughs) Then when I did the school of ministry, where I started embracing who I am, I, I had so much fear, like speaking. I had so much fear of being seen, being heard, or even my skin color. I was so afraid of being seen as a native, being seen as a creepy person. So when I did the school on those outreaches, we were just praying and listening to God. And one of the girls said God gave her a vision that she's seen this indigenous woman dancing free. And she said, God is saying to me to tell Rebecca to be free, the person God created you to be. That moment, I, I felt something, um, and it's, it's hard to explain it. <laughs> it's something just went through me. Uh, I was just like, you, need, you see these powwows? And I didn't grow up in powwow, but I started chanting. <laughs> <laughs> and I started chanting. And when I was chanting, I felt that chant was so powerful that came from heaven. And it's hard to explain what happened. That moment, I felt like some, so many stuff were broken off. And that following day, I felt so new. And I was, why am I feeling like this? I was thinking, <laughs> and I kept looking at my skin. And I, all I felt was so much love. I felt like the um, first time ever accepting and embracing who I am as an Indigenous person. And that moment, I felt like oh, I didn't have any shame at all as an Indigenous woman or speaking Korea as well. All of a sudden, I felt I belong in that group. Yeah, then I was able to speak and I, I wasn't afraid to speak that moment. So to me, what they went through with my parents still affected me. They were taught not to speak. They were taught they were dirty. They were taught um, they're not worthy all those stuff still affected me. And I didn't know why until I started dealing, accepting God's creation in me. Generational trauma is is real. And I yeah. feel very fortunate that we live in this day and age because I feel as though we are more aware of the fact that things that even happened to our great great grandparents then became a part of the the fabric of how the family functions. And it explains so much when you think about people who are, they seem born angry or hurt and it's just how they were raised. And you're you're seeing this like freeing of indigenous peoples in Canada and they are embracing who they are in such a beautiful and powerful way. And so I'm excited to hear your story and the fact that you know, some people will say, well, it was the church that did this to them. And yet it was God who released you. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful thing to to hear your story. 
-hmm. And it was like the chains fell off, the chains of the generational curse, I will say, because I think a lot of families, indigenous or non-indigenous, have generational chains on them. And you're freed. What, Knowing that you had that experience, how does mm -hmm. that propel you to help other indigenous people um, embrace their identity? Um, to me, like, education is so important. Like, I never really had that opportunity. Like, not just learning um, the history of Canada. I'm also learning the other tribes. And also, like, education is one of the key factors. And having that relationship with God and not looking at any denominations or any, like, where, where does this person go and what, what group does, do they belong to? Because um, my birth dad told me a story of my, my grandpa, because I didn't grow up with him. He was a medicine man before missionaries came. He would always be drumming and singing songs for uh, the next meal. That's how uh, they would survive. Um, they wouldn't have anything. Like, they didn't have any stores. You didn't have any roads or uh, planes. They would only have once in a while flour, sugar. That's it. And the rest would be like berries and wild meat. And he said he would drum all night and sing into the creator. Then he would see a, where the game would be. Then he went there. There, there was the game. There was a game. But one time when he was drumming and singing looking forward to the next meal. He had a vision. He said, I see a black book and that black book will come and separate people. <laughs> Meaning the Bible, I guess the doctrines of denomination, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the way he connected with the creator. But once the missionaries came, they told him, okay, your ways are not good. They're evil. Some of it was evil. Some of it was good. And that's when they stopped drumming. They didn't drum after that. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And because um, our territory, we don't smudge because we, don't, we didn't grow up with the sweet grass. The sweet grass didn't grow on our area. Mm -hmm. That's when, when I moved to South for um, get a further education. And I, people would be smudging where places I would go. And I would say to myself, why do I feel like I can't stand the smell? I can't stand the, the stuff. Am I being like coming against my own tribe, coming against my own like indigenous people? Then I understood like we didn't grow up in, in the sweetgrass area. Then I just accepted what they believe and what they do. That's their practice. We all have our own practices, different. Not every like indigenous person have the same um, background. Even though we may have similar, we still feel that connection, but we didn't have the same traditional values and cultural values. And uh, <clears throat> I always remember that when I was in in Southern Ontario um, studying, when I started having those opportunities where I felt like I can't, I can't learn because all the trauma I went through. Um, but once I started having to pursue more education, then I kind of like liked it. 
and all these all these uh, professors I had George Brown as a um, English teachers they kind of like um, they saw me they, they believed in me <laughs> like when I didn't believe in myself because all this school trauma I went through as a child they see they, they saw potential in me which I didn't think I had it then I started like doing research papers and I wrote stories then I began to like writing stories and they asked to publish my stories they published them and then just before pandemic, um, a professor said to us, I want you guys to teach something. So I'm thinking, what am I going to teach? Am I going to teach how to make Bannock? It was like, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no way I could demonstrate it here. I, there's no scope, I was thinking. Yeah. Then, then all of a sudden, it just dawned on me. Yeah, I'm passionate about healing. I'm passionate about reconciliation. I'm passionate about... Um, I'll just do the, the demonstration of the, the, the tree, the roots of it. And I talked about the foundations, like the culture foundation, the parenting and stuff like that. And then um, now when I, was, when I was preparing it, of course, my teacher had to like approve, some, approve it before I present it. Then she says, okay, I'll prove it. You can present it. So I was so nervous standing there, all these like non-Indigenous people. <laughs> then my teacher was at the back. And then I said, here's what I'm passionate for. I'm passionate about my identity. I'm passionate about healing and reconciliation, I said. But then I start talking about it and I would give examples, but not depths of it. And then and then um, while standing there, all of a sudden, like, I'm looking at the people, looking at my professor. It just dawned on me, like, I have this opportunity to speak in my language, being a school system where actually teaching it, where my parents did not have it. I'm just like blown away study there. <laughs> and I'm just so amazed. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, yeah, I can teach. And I can have confidence. I can have not have any fear. I don't care anybody what, what they think. <laughs> <laughs> so when, after when I was done, then, then my professor was still, like a little bit shocked, I guess. <laughs> then she says, okay, let's go back to my boring teaching. <laughs> oh, incredible. Yeah, where I totally believe, like, God gave me those opportunities, where gradually I'm taking back, like, what I felt like I lost because of trauma, like, learning. Now I'm like, I just love learning. I just, yeah, even though it's hard sometimes, I just go for it. <laughs> oh, okay. So why is teaching about truth and reconciliation so important to you? The truth is so, can be uncomfortable, really uncomfortable, but we need to hear it. Even when it's so uncomfortable, we need to talk about it, but we don't stay there. And to me, reconciliation is, um, taking back what you lost and gaining 
what what the future holds, gaining about like what God has for you. To me, like reconciliation is when I look at you, I don't see that person. I don't see what nationality are you, and I don't see color. I just see that person. To me, that that's reconciliation. Uh, I don't. I won't say I'm fully there yet, <laughs> but gradually I'm, I'm there. Because I love, I love people. Whoever I meet, I love. Um, it didn't just, I didn't just grow up like that to love people. <laughs> I had to work on it. I had to work on it. And I have, I have to understand where they came from. Not just, not just me. Because I had to understand where my parents went through I have to understand um tribes what they went through and other color people I have to understand what they went through too um yeah understanding and accepting people what do you hope the future brings as we take more opportunities in our year having days set aside like uh, September 30th there's a day coming up June 21st um, what do you hope the future holds as we move towards reconciliation? Because I think reconciliation is not just like an, a destination, it's a, a journey. What I'm learning right now, like in school, it just made me think about it more. Uh, I guess the government chose to be 30th. I didn't know who really chose it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's when they like found the children, the truth came out. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about the part where they say reconciliation. Um, we had a really big discussion in class. And our teacher was saying, it's okay to get angry. It's okay to talk about it. But most of the time, we're just talking about the truth. We're not, I don't think we're fully there. We're, we're comfortable to talk about reconciliation. But I don't, I think that has to be separation something i don't know yet i i just don't know yet about yeah. that part because when we had the discussion a lot of um really high emotions and anger and stuff like that frustration and the part too there's so much to talk about and there's so much to learn i guess the part is learning understanding we can't just say okay we have to understand what happened to me, educating ourselves is important. Mm-hmm. For example, I was in a class where they talked about um, Canadian relations. They talked about the history. I looked around. I was thinking, where are the white non-Indigenous people, the people that call themselves Canadians? I was looking around, and all of them were international. Did they learn long ago, I was thinking, or they haven't learned what we're talking about? And I was just like with a shock. Most of them that learn are the people that come from other countries to um, study in Canada. I don't know what's what they ta- they're taught in high schools here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I when I went to school, it was touched on, but it was more like they got to go to school. Next chapter. Uh, when it came to residential schools, and then the news broke about um, what happened in Kamloops and now across our country and it is truly devastating news Uh it's um it's horrific and um i don't know like how how do we move forward knowing that's a part of 
our nation's history. Yeah, I know like the school started 1831, mm-hmm. but, but it was way back. Like we really talking about reconciliation and the truth. <laughs> For example, imagine if people didn't speak your language and all of a sudden people come to your land, your, your territory and say, okay, here's a document. You sign this without even speaking their language or reading. And they sign it and sort of give out, give out their rights. And that happened. That is like really devastation thing to happen. Like to me, that's still like a trauma that happened in the land. Past two years, I kept hearing all these lectures, but in my own thoughts, like now I know like that part where why the land is so oppressed, why the people that live there are so oppressed. Because what happened to them was so, like, really wrong. Like, even their land, that's their way of life. They have to give it up. That's how they were born and raised to do. That's who they were. Like, for example, all the interviews I did this, this summer with the elders, where I'm from, all they said was they talked about how they live. And one of them said, I don't speak English. I don't speak French. I don't read and write, but the creator has given me to read the land, he was saying, Hmm. meaning like he has the knowledge and wisdom from God to know. They know the seasons. They know when to harvest animals and stuff. They don't just harvest anything. They had to know everything, even the natural medicine. They were taught by the creator, I guess, because they were sharing their knowledge. To me, not just residential schools, way back giving up the land because that's all we had like the land and the water but we're not there yet to talk about it <laughs> no we're not there yet we'll get there it's, yeah. it's a journey right yes, it's a very long journey and painful um but what would be your hope for the next generation since this is you know phase one we'll call it in this journey of of hopeful true reconciliation what do you want the next generation to experience or expand on when I think about my nieces and nephews, I would want them to um, to know who they are as Indigenous people, to live to the fullest and embrace who they are. They don't need to change. To just live fullest and not live in oppression and not have to go through the traumas, the intergenerational trauma stuff. Because we today we have more resources. Today we're more comfortable to talk about because... I think, I believe the silence has been broken and they have more opportunities to pursue higher education and pursue more healing. It will be like a miracle for them. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to share? I like, I feel like I'm monopolizing your time, but I've just been so enraptured (laughs) with your story. So thank you. Um, I think that's it for now. Like I'm just, I'm grateful to have this opportunity and share a bit. Well, thank you for sharing what you have. It's uh, so important to listen in this season. It's important to, like you say, learn and try our best to empathize, not just sympathize with what's happened and what is Mm -hmm. happening and to work together on a a stronger, more unified future. That's my goal. Many, many good shoes. Uh, Yeah, thank you.